Good morning. morning. Alright, Revelation 7, 9-12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from every tribe, and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. We're in the middle, or not in the middle, we're at the end of our giving campaign, our Growing Together campaign. And we said that we wanted to raise 35K, which we have. Thank you all so much. Nice job, everybody. Yeah, so we're giving the rest away. We said we wanted to uh, do that because we believe that as a church, we are part of a group of churches here that are doing what? What are we doing? Ushering in the next? 500 years. years. We're We're on the forefront. The forefront of these churches. Dad joke. Um, We're doing that. Uh, And I'm glad we're doing that. And so uh, I've talked about some of the reasons that I believe we're a church that's part of a movement ushering in a new, just and generous kind of Christianity for the next 500 years. So I talked about the fact that we are an inclusive church and the robust theology around that. I think that matters and is important and is something to celebrate. I've talked about the fact that our God is not a God who is separate from us. Our God is a God who sees us uh, as good and that God wants to see us restored. So it's a restorative God. That's that God uh, sends Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus is so uh, uh, not so that God would change God's mind about us, but so that we would change our minds about God. That's good news. The Bible, the Bible is not an end game. The Bible is not a destination. The Bible is a journey. We believe that, and that is good news. So DC Talk tries to tell us its basic constructions before leaving Earth. Sorry, DC Talk, you're not right this time. It's not. It's this beautiful, beautiful tapestry, uh, a library filled with poems and and letters and stories and songs that all shows us what God looks like throughout the ages, imagined and reimagined over again. And I believe that our scriptures are still being written through us today through the Holy Spirit. That is good news. And then finally, I believe we are ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity because I believe that our Jesus and our God are not white and western. That is what I believe. And that's what we're going to talk about today. See, it's one thing to be diverse. I don't even want to talk about being diverse. What I want to talk about is being an anti-racist church. Because being an anti-racist church is what's going to usher in a new kind of Christianity for the next 500 years. And so here's the deal. Churches, our church included in this, have done a really terrible job talking about race and talking about oppression and marginalization of people. We've done a bad job of it. In fact, our our Christianity is centered around the acceptance of a white and Western way of thinking about Jesus and God. Don't believe it? Let's all close our eyes for one second. And I'm going to snap my fingers and I'm going to say what comes to mind when I say God and Jesus. You can open your eyes because my guess is what comes to mind is uh, a long flowing beard? Yeah? And my guess is what comes to mind is a brown haired blue eyed Jesus? That's my guess. And so we start with this quote, a quote like this. It's from Vincent Harding who says, from the outset, almost everywhere, we blacks have met him in this land and this Christ was painted white and pink and blonde and blue eyed and not only in white churches, but in black churches as well. Millions of black children had the picture of this pseudo Nazarene burned into their memory. 
The books, the windows, the paintings, the film strips, they all affirm this same message, a message of shame. This Christ shamed us by his pigmentation, so obviously not our own. He condemned us for our blackness, for our flat noses, for our kinky hair, for our power, our strange power of expressing emotion and singing and shouting and dancing. And Jesus, he was sedate and so genteel and so white. And as soon as we were able, many of us tried to be like him. We have an issue. We have an issue, and the issue is that Christianity in America has long looked white, has long looked patriarchal, and we've eschewed everything that might look differently, right? And as I think about this, and as I think about what Jesus looks like in the midst of all this, I can only help it but do my best to look at the culture in the context of Jesus, and in looking at the culture and context of Jesus, trying to like kind of bring it into a modern day setting. And when I bring that culture and context of Jesus into a modern day setting, I gotta be honest, if I'm really being honest, I'm being vulnerable, I don't know if I would always follow our Jesus. Because bringing it into that setting changes things for me. And I guess it might change things for some of us. We know that Jesus was around during the time of the Roman Empire. We know that the Jews who were part of the Roman Empire were oppressed and they were marginalized. And it has me thinking about oppression and marginalization. Jesus was oppressed and marginalized. And I even think about Jesus' birth. Jesus' birth was announced to the shepherds. Announced to the shepherds. First century writings, they tell us about shepherds. You know what first century writings tell us about shepherds? says that they're dishonest, that they're unacceptable, that they're outside of the law. That's what it says about shepherds. When I think about the announcement of the birth of Jesus, I think about what that might look like in our context. And so the angels came to the drug dealers on the corner and they said, Jesus is here. And if that's the case in today's modern day times, would I follow that Jesus if that's who he came to first? The resurrection, women, they were the first to find out about the resurrection. First century Roman writers say women are good for one thing, and that's bearing heirs. That's what it says. The resurrection came to the nannies headed home from the Upper East Side, and it was good news. And I wonder if I had heard that good news today that came to the nannies on the Upper East Side, would I follow Jesus? Or would that Jesus not be white and Western enough for me? We can keep going. I talked a couple weeks ago about Jesus being refugee. He was a refugee. King Herod uh, decided that all, ma all males from the age of zero to two should be killed. And so thousands of parents left Israel and they went towards Egypt because they didn't want their children killed. So there were thousands of people migrating towards Egypt. Where have we seen thousands of migrating people running away from danger? Do we picture Jesus as one of them? Do we picture Jesus as a child on the border, detained? Do we picture Jesus as being one of the children killed or even hurt on the border? Or is that Jesus not white and Western enough for us? You know what scripture says about Nazareth? It says that's where Jesus was born. You know what else it says about Nazareth? It says that nothing good ever came from Nazareth. That's what it says. And we have towns, we have places, right? We have neighborhoods and we say, oh man, that neighborhood? That town, nothing good comes from that place. Those people are, are not great. Those people, right? Those people, are, you know, they, they've done some terrible things. That's why their town is, is that way. And it doesn't matter that when we start to think about who, quote unquote, those people are, there were Jim Crow laws set in place to make that the case, to create that kind of oppression. Doesn't matter that there are cycles of poverty that we keep people in. That doesn't matter. What if Jesus was in one of those towns and you went, oh man, he's from that town? 
I don't know if I'd follow him. He's not privileged enough. What do we think of when we think of Jesus and oppression and marginalization? How about the fact that he hung out with Samaritans? Y'all know about Samaritans, right? Yeah, he hung out with Samaritans. You know that Samaritans were so despised that they would go around Samaria to get wherever they were going? They wouldn't even go through it. That's how despised Samaritans were. And you know what it got me thinking about? It got me thinking about Jesus always went to Samaria, and he was there, he was healing, loving, you know, helping people, right? And I start to think about the towns or the neighborhoods or the places that we go around, right? And what do we say? Oh, that's a dangerous place. But what if we saw Jesus hanging out on the corner with his friends in one of those neighborhoods or towns we avoid? Would we follow Jesus? Or would Jesus not be white and Western enough for us? The Roman Empire colonized the Jewish people. The way they did this is they put an eagle on the top of every temple. And so the eagle would be there and you would have to touch the eagle when you walk in as a reminder that you were under Roman oppression. There was also a statue of Caesar at every temple. And you had to say these fun words, Caesar is Lord. I've preached about this before. Otherwise you might be arrested. So it was an attempt at colonization. We want to take uh, the ethnicity, the culture away from the Jews and we want them to understand that they are part of the Roman Empire. That's what we want them to understand. Now that seems a little bit familiar to me. I think about people that I know, people in my family, Mira who attends this church, who have been told that their way of expressing their culture, whether it be Filipino or Indian or whatever it might be, is wrong and ungodly. And in some cases it's been called demonic that God doesn't like that, and so they've had to let go of parts of their culture because it's not white and Western enough. And I wonder what we, if we would follow that Jesus, that Jesus was embracing culture in scary ways. I think about the fact that Jesus was killed by the authorities, wrongfully killed by the authorities. At church, Mira and I, we preach, and we preach sometimes, we'll mention the names of Trayvon Martin, we'll mention the names of Philander Castile, we'll mention the names of Rakia Boyd and James Bird and so many others, and every single week, one person emails us and says, you know what, stop talking about politics and stick to the gospel, and yet it seems to me that someone wrongfully dying at the hands of the authorities is the most on-brand Christian thing that we could possibly talk about. That's what it seems like. So maybe we keep talking about that. And so I think about this Jesus, and I think about who Jesus is, and I think about the way Jesus lived, and I think about the modernity of bringing Jesus into our modern culture. And as someone who comes from a place of privilege, I wonder if I would follow that Jesus. You know, uh, Paul says this, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, uh, God chose what was low and despised in the world, what was regarded as nothing, to set aside and turn into, uh, turn into what was regarded as something. And I think about our world, and I want to be honest about the world that I think we live in, our America that I think we live in. And I think the issue is we believe people who identify as Caucasian are something, and those who don't are nothing. And unfortunately, we can back that up with numerous stats. The fact that 32% of our population doesn't identify as Caucasian, but that make up 50% of, 56% of our prison population. It goes beyond just African Americans and Caribbean Americans. It goes to a place where there was a study recently done amongst Caucasians identifying with Asians. And what was found across the board is that Caucasians every single time believed that they were superior to the Asian communities. So basically what we've done is we've colonized an entire continent. When I say we, I'm talking about people like me. 
I think about the fact that 56 cents of every dollar goes to the Latinx community. Or I'm sorry, white people, we make, you know, a dollar for every dollar. 56, 56 cents to the Latinx community. We have an issue. We think that people who aren't Caucasian are less than... I mean, I think about our crack epidemic, right, where it was a war on drugs and we imprisoned as many people as we could, and yet we have an opioid crisis where we save as many people as we can, right? And we don't have to talk about who was black and who is white in that. That's the bottom line. So I wonder, what do we do? How do we usher in the Christianity of the next 500 years? How do we become an anti-racist community? Because there is good news. The good news of the gospel is that when God gets what God wants, what God gets, we get revelation. We get all tribes and all tongues and everybody coming together and praising. We get that. And God says, I love you so much that I want you to bring that. I want you to usher it in. I want you to show that that's what my kingdom looks like. We get to be a part of it. So how do we be a part of it? What do we do? What do we do? I think we have to do a few things. And right now, I want to take a second and I want to talk to the people in the room that look like me. That's what I want to do. And I want to talk about the people in the room that look like me. And I'll speak for myself as being a, uh, this person. I want to talk about the fact that sometimes we hear this and we get uncomfortable. We might feel guilty. We might feel ashamed. Those are immature, kind of manipulative reactions to that. A little immature, a little, a little manipulative because the truth of the matter is if we feel guilty or we feel ashamed, it actually stops us from wanting to change anything. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I have a child. I won't tell you which one. And a couple of, I, I said this before, so if you've heard this, bear with me. A couple of years ago, I said to this child, I said, child, I need you to empty the dishwasher. And she said, I can't. I'm really busy right now. And I, I said, oh. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm doing cartwheels. I said, that I, I think you should stop, and I think you should empty the dishwasher. And she goes, I'm so sorry. And I go, what are you sorry about? And she goes, I'm so sorry that I didn't empty the dishwasher. I'm like, but you, but you can empty it right now. You can stop doing cartwheels and empty the dishwasher. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I, I can't. That's what white people do. That is what we do. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry this is happening. Well, you can help. I'm sorry. But you can help. You can change. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. To the people in the room that look like me, I don't want us to be allies. Allies come along and we say, I'm rooting for you. I want us to be accomplices. Accomplices jump in, change systems at the direction of those who are marginalized and oppressed. And that's what I want our church to be. I want our church to be a group of accomplices. That is how we usher in the next 500 years. That is what we do and how we do it. How else do we do it? What else do we do? Well, there are some of us in this room right now, and we say something like, you know what? We are covered by the blood of Christ. Amen. We are covered by the blood of Christ. We are. And so what we say is we say, you know what? So I don't see color anymore. We're all siblings in Christ. That's a nice thought. That's lovely. God bless you. <laughs> I think when we look at the ministry of Jesus, the thing I love most about the ministry of Jesus is Jesus never wanted equality, ever. Jesus wanted equity. You know how we know? The way he treats people. He treats people really differently. Those who are privileged, he doesn't give them much time, does he? 
Who does Jesus go to? Jesus is going to those who are the oppressed, who are the marginalized, who are the ethnic minorities. Jesus is showing them love, them grace, healing them. Jesus does not look out for equality. Jesus wants equity to bring up those who don't have it and to make them and to bring them to a place of flourishing. That's the ministry of Jesus, which means that that is our ministry as a church that ushers in the next 500 years of Christianity. That's what it does. That's a nice thing to say. Jesus, God doesn't see color, but Jesus' ministry proves otherwise. What else can we do? We can do our homework. We can do our homework. And I need to acknowledge right now there are some of us in this room um, who have no choice but to know the white privileged side of the world. You have no choice but to know it. In fact, there's these two pastors that got together, one black and one white. And, and the white pastor said to the black pastor, he said, you know what? He said, there's so much we could teach each other. And the black pastor said, no, 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 no. I know exactly what your world looks like. There's so much I can teach you. Should I choose to want to do it? By the way, where's Jim Rohner? He comes from Messiah, that guy. And so, yeah, there are people who have been marginalized, people who have been oppressed. And it's our job to do our homework, which means it's our job not to speak if you're privileged. It's our job to listen. So maybe if we're straight and cis, we should listen. And maybe if we are uh, identify as Caucasian, we should listen. And maybe if we're men, we could do a little bit more listening. That brings the kingdom to this place. And when we do our homework, we have to talk about our ancestry. We have to talk about our past. I read recently in a book called Divided Nations that Western European settlers killed 90% of our American indigenous population. That's 11 million people. That's twice as many people as the Jewish Holocaust. And yet I didn't know about it. I wasn't aware of it. And my guess is I'm not the only one. And so what if our church decided we were going to do our homework in our small groups, in other group settings? What if we decided we were going to gather together and gather in the name of Jesus and because of the good news of Jesus Christ, because of the fact that when God gets what God wants, God brings peace to this place, because all tribes and all nations and all tongues are that important, what if we got together as a church in that good news and started doing homework together? What if we started doing that? What if we started reading the tough books together? What if we started looking at the tough stats together? What if we started hearing the tough stories together? What if we did that? How would we change? How would we bring Christianity into the next 500 years? What would we do? I know as a church, uh, we're a part of an anti-racist cohort with a bunch of other churches here in New York City. And all those churches have committed to having a white privilege group. And it's open to everybody. But we're going to dissect privilege and blind spots. We're going to talk about how privilege and blind spots impede our Christianity, impede the good news of the gospel message. And that starts in the fall. That's homework. It's terrifying. It brings the kingdom to this place. That's what it does. Here is the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ says to his disciples in John 14, 12, he says, you know what? You are going to do greater things than even me. Right When the Spirit comes on you, right now you can't quite bear it, but you're going to do greater things than even me when the Spirit comes on you. And I feel like this is the time, and I've been saying it over and over. Angela has said it over and over. The Spirit is upon us right now. There is a cloud above our church. It is moving. It is growing. It is working. And now is the time the Spirit is upon us, and we are going to do greater things. And some of those greater things are to be loud to change systems, to be the accomplices we need to be and to say that Christianity is not white and Western. It is revelation. It is all tongues. It is all tribes. It is all nations coming together for the glory of God. And when God gets what God wants, it's worth reading one more time. 
Because when God gets what God wants, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribes, people, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And there's our mission for the next 500 years. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, uh, we are privileged to be a part of your kingdom. We're privileged to be called just your children. And as your children, we're privileged to be a part of bringing the peace that you intend to this kingdom. We're privileged to be able to follow Jesus. And God, it's hard and it's painful and it's difficult. Give us the courage to do so. Give us the courage to bring your kingdom here for the next 500 years. Give us the courage to listen. Give us the courage to do homework. Give us the courage to step out of comfort zones. God, for those of us who have been hurt, for those of us who have been oppressed, for those of us who have systemically been treated worse, God, we pray for, for healing, and, and not just a little bit of healing, like, like full-on healing, God. We pray for that. We pray boldly for that. God, we pray that um, we begin a process that brings your kingdom to this place and looks a lot like Revelation. And God, when we get it wrong, when we're not brave enough, and we're not courageous, God, we... We are thankful for the grace that comes through your son. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen.